episode of we talk comics it is episode number 173 this one is called nick's pick because we are joined by well i won't mention it yet it's uh save it we're gonna save it we're gonna have a little surprise get a build up mm. i am the crown prince of charisma mo i'm joined once again by the chief defender of the defender of the faith mr brett podcast still defending the faith and still doing podcasts there he is the best in the business and with us business and with us, and this is it, talking about the best, one of our favorite guests, once again back on the show, it is uh, Jack B. Nimble, Jack B. Quick. Nick Johnson is here to, I don't know, to give us his wit. Let's say that. How about that? Is that good? No, you've set expectation high. You're suggesting I have wit. <laughs> Nick Johnson, hopefully everybody knows you. If they don't, tell them who you are. Uh, Nick Johnson, I am um, an artist and a writer living in Calgary, Alberta, working on comics most of the time. Um, I recently was the artist for Wolf Hands and uh, put together an anthology called Wishless, which you guys were nice enough to uh, let me jaw on about on your podcast, which was a hell of a lot of fun. So thanks again for having me back. Natural. A natural. Listen to that. And how's it's... your bed, Nick? Mine just... <laughs> Here we go again collapsed on me my bed is reinforced with duct <laughs> Sorry, tape no, and that's uh, not relevant to the podcast though <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but for all those listeners i need some of that <laughs> damn brad bed just broke on me uh, okay so brett brett uh you uh contacted nick tell explain the concept of the show all right. Well, the the concept was that uh, I thought it would be fun to to go to various folks, and Nick uh, Nick was amongst the first that I invited because he's Nick, and I said, you know, who are your favorite creators? Let's talk your favorite creators, and let's pick one and just kind of do a best of. And so Nick made the suggestion of Grant Morrison, and Grant Morrison I think is an excellent one for for our first show doing this kind of thing. So. You know, we are going to talk the best of Grant Morrison. Well, so we're calling it Nick's pick. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Brett's like, let's call it the best of Grant Morrison. I'm like, no, 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 no. Why would we want to explain what the show is right in the title? Like that. You're right. Ter- terrible idea. Terrible idea. Nick, uh, yeah. Grant Morrison, um, how long have you been reading him? What does he mean to you? Uh, how long? That is a good question. Um, I mean, when, when Brett first suggested, uh, the show, I didn't really think I followed anybody very closely. Like I tend to follow storylines and, uh, character, not characters, but if something's good. I'll track it down. And then I was like, well, who's on my shelf here? And so I was sort of pulling down stuff I saw a lot of. And all of a sudden there was this huge stack of Grant Morrison. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. I think, 
it has been decided. Um, now, I think I probably resisted him for a little while because he seemed like, uh, like I'm not really into the, like DC or Marvel that heavy, but he always was creating work that was really weird to me and like had some hold. And I think what really started it off was, uh, his run on new X-Men, uh, because that one really blew my mind and I was kind of a big X-Men fan at the time and he did something so new and so strange with it that uh, I think it just sort of uh, raised all my flags. So subtly he started to creep into my, you know, my, my front brain, not just my back brain. Subconscious your, if you want to get fancy about it. Your, uh, your comic book lexicon. Yeah, oh yes, very, very nice. My nixicon. <laughs> Comic book Nexicon, did you say? Lexicon. My, my Nexicon. I, I said Nexicon. <laughs> yeah, Nexicon. Oh, I get it. I get it. Clever. The Nickmobile, the Nick bed, the Nexicon. <laughs> the Nick bed that hasn't collapsed. Yeah, it's still going strong. <laughs> <laughs> you can so tell us a little bit about New Action. Then, coincidentally, coincidentally, right before my bed collapsed, right before we were ready to start the podcast, I was, I was lying in my bed and I just read the first his first issue on the Marvel Unlimited app of the uh, of his of his new X Men, which I haven't read and I've always wanted to. So, uh, tell us a little more about it. Um, I would say probably my favorite run on X Men is just those three first issues of his run. It's uh, E for Extinction. And in three issues, he, he gives the X-Men a new kind of feel. He has this really dangerous element of um, Xavier's twin sister, Cassandra Nova. And uh, he creates a world that is, um, once again, a scary place to be a mutant because there's that crazy, like, genocide event that happens on Genosha when all of these crazy, like, cobbled-together sentinels just kill everyone on the island, uh, even kill Magneto, <laughs> apparently. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, amongst that, there's also all sorts of weird stuff where, um, there's these jungle sentinels and they're like chopping people up and they're at the command of Cassandra Nova. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many weird, bizarre ideas thrown into those three issues and they're just so tight and so cool. And, um, he is probably the writer when I think of like who actually made Cyclops cool. Like, I've always liked Cyclops since I was a little kid, but I couldn't ever tell you why. <laughs> uh, but Grant Morrison gave, you, gave him so many different levels and so many different cool um, personality traits that really just uh, made him awesome. So I'll always be thankful for that. It was the goggles. It's definitely the goggles. The visors, that's why he's cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it helps when Grant, uh, Frank quietly draws him, for sure. But, uh, yeah. Now, how many? Do you know how many issues he did on New X Men? Because I'm not actually that familiar with the run. Um, I have three hardcovers worth twelve, twelve, twelve. So I think he did three years worth of stuff. Um, yeah, so I think he took a break for like eight issues or something like that. Because I was just looking at it. Like I say, I think it was like one twenty twenty nine until like one fifty. 150 something but but yeah he did take like a, a break right in the middle for like eight issues or so yeah and i think honestly by the end like i had the first uh, hardcover volume is the best stuff and after that i feel like it kind of especially the third volume it kind of loses me a little bit and i think by that time him and marvel were kind of butting heads and they were just ready to write off everything he had created but um joss whedon seemed to really like it because he brought back a lot of those concepts which i mm. think 
I remember when he left uh, DC to go do um, X Men, New X Men. Mm-hmm. It was it was huge. Like it was a it was one of those earthquake type moments in the industry because you know I mean he was he was very important to to DC at the time and you you thought he was gone and you know and it was such a big get for Marvel. Oh right, I remember this cover now. The that weird um, funky cover with the yellow like lava kind of look behind it and uh, yeah, yeah that's that's one fourteen is what that is. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's odd because it's a very Vertigo esque cover, given that it's a Marvel comic. Like, because you can't see their faces; they're completely obscured, but you know exactly who they are. Yeah, there's the really iconic. You know, they they're, they're different, but they're still recognizable. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's that kind of Vertigo feel that seeped into the book. Like I said, it gave it this element of danger. Like you weren't really sure what was going to happen, who was going to be safe. Like mutants were showing up who were just ugly and really gross, and you're still, like, kind of related to them. <laughs> One Actually, of the in, that, in that first issue, in that first issue, this this guy, I can't remember what he's called. He was ugly. He had, like, three faces. Yeah, Ugly John, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like something like that, yeah, and he, he's sitting there going, so you're all the good-looking mutants, huh? Yeah. Like, that was a line in it, and I'm like, as soon as he says it, you realize it's like, man, we're talking about mutants, and yet they are generally, like, even, even like, a Nightcrawler is a pretty, pretty blue mutant you know yeah absolutely. so yeah it was, it was it was different i can see what you mean that's uh that is one weird looking mutant right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes ugly john now that any creator that's willing to do that but you know i i'm also interested because kind of kind of a ballsy move by marvel to to hand the keys and obviously really hand the keys to grant morrison not just you know, sit on him quite that much, given the look of it, given the the feel. I would say that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he he did this after he did JLA, and and you know, as JLA run was, you know, I mean, I, I know you're not a fan of a Brett, but it was highly successful. And uh, you know, I mean, definitely though, like right away, you can see elements that are introduced in this that it's like, wow, he couldn't have gotten away with that doing that on JLA. Like, there's just no way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've read some of the JLA run, but uh, but I haven't read that much. How about you, Nick? Have you read the JLA run? I haven't, no. Uh, that's still like a big empty spot waiting to be discovered. But yeah, <laughs> I, knew, I knew he was uh, on the book for a long time because I was always reading Wizard Magazine and stuff, so I knew I was aware of the writers. But like I said, it wasn't until he hit X-Men where I was like, who's this guy? You know, I'm ready to, to bite into this. So did you kind of just from there kind of just you follow his career on what he's doing next? Or did he kind of go back into some of the, the archives and, and read, you know, Animal Man and Animal Man, not Animal Man, Animal Man. <laughs> animal, yes. Also I love being an animal. <laughs> Doom Patrol, things like that. Did you did you go back into those or did you just kind of, you know, uh, pick up what he went to next? You know, I didn't follow him after that. Um, I mean... Like I said, it was really strange how I didn't realize how much I really loved Grant Morrison until I started to see the books starting to stack up. And I mean, on my shelf is like All-Star Superman, which I had loved for a really long time. And then his Batman run, I wanted nothing to do with because I didn't really care that much. And then I really started to get into it in a big way, kind of like uh, 
like a character in a Dan Brown book. Like it was the Da Vinci Code and I needed to track it up on page shoots. <laughs> <laughs> and there's all the clues and interconnected little bits and pieces. And then Final Crisis happens. And uh, by that time, I was like a junkie just trying to get all the scraps and pieces together. So now I have all of his Batman run, which I just love. And after that, I started to really be like, okay, this guy's doing some stuff that is really special um, and it's really attracting me to superhero stuff which I'm not really as into as much as when I was a kid. Um, so now is when I've gone back and I grabbed the Invisibles and I grabbed the Doom Patrol Omnibus sitting in front of me here um, and I'm about halfway through that. I'm just like digging every second of it. I mean, I love his Vertigo work. That's when, when everything really, you know, when I started reading Grant Morrison. I, I can't exactly say what it was. I'm not sure if it was Doom Patrol or or whether it was Animal Man, but there was just that moment where it was just like, hmm, there's Grant Morrison. He's good. And then, you know, once the Invisibles came out, that it was all over. That was that was my complete tipping point for him and where I was getting everything. And and until it went until he went superhero-esque. And then it, it, it kind of took me longer to grow to appreciate him in the superhero world but that being said i could continuously reread his vertigo work so many times over that i don't i, I wouldn't even need to read his superhero work but uh yeah i remember going into animal man and, and that was the one for me i mean i i'm, I'm primarily a, a digital reader and i have on comiXology bought all the doom patrol and haven't read any of them yet so that's one i'm gonna dig into but it was animal man i mean I went to a very skeptical. I'm like, okay, everybody loves Animal Man. Everybody talks about it. This guy's so great. Let's see what it's like. It's probably not going to be that good. It's probably overrated. Like so many things are. And then I read it and I'm like, ah, ah, ah. you know, <laughs> like, like it's the, it's right from the beginning. It's different, like a different feel than anything else I'd have read and anything I was expecting, especially since it is with, you know, a character that existed, a superhero character, but just different, different feel. And even more so than that X-Men, like, really but it's the it's issue number five um with the the coyote uh, you, do you know the one i'm talking about brad or do you know this one nick coyote or peyote <laughs> no no coyote it's a it's the it, uh, if you haven't read this nick this is the one you got to track down okay because i think i've read one trade of animal man and it's the one where he goes on the peyote vision quest and sees graham morrison <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah that right. might actually be in it, but it's, it? you wouldn't okay. forget the story that it's been a while. Like it's, it's this, it's this like wily coyote type character, and and who keeps dying and and doesn't want to keep dying and 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 coming back, and kind of it's like it's it's got religious overtones, and it, it's you know pulling back the pages to see the creator creating him and killing him over and over again, and 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 the the, the coyote's very noble and and sacrificing himself and like it's it's got all this this stuff that's like you know for me i was like nobody's again nobody's done something like this like this is this is pulling back layers of comic book and telling them from a, a different point of view that i'd never seen before this is and like i say i already liked the first that was issue number five in the trade and in the animal man and i was like already loving it but that issue like, I can't even explain to you how brilliant it is. It's probably like 88, 89 that it came out, you know, but it's like, um, I think it's easily his most famous issue from the Animal Man series. And, and like, it's to this day, it's, it's groundbreaking when you read it. That's awesome. 
See, uh, he brings something new to superheroes, and I think that's mainly because he takes so much inspiration from outside the comic world, as opposed to, like, he's a fanboy through and through. He knows everything about, like, DC. But um, he reads other stuff, and he's influenced by other stuff, weird stuff, art and music, and he brings that to the superhero world, you know, and that's what makes his stuff exciting, I think. Yeah, yeah, and he, and he doesn't, you know, put boundaries on himself that, that other people do. You know, he's not trying to tell a superhero story. He's just trying to tell a story, and it happens to have a superhero in it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, um, I mean, I haven't read his book, Super Super Gods. Is that the name of it? Yeah, that's the name. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but I've watched a lot of documentaries where he goes into some of the same material, like a lot of his uh, autobiographical stuff about uh, growing up and, you know, you know the the UFO kidnapping stories and all the drugs and the magic, like all this really weird, bizarre stuff where he, he went out and lived a really strange life and he brought those experiences back to comics. Like he could have gone and done anything else, but he still loved comics and he loved superheroes and, and he brought all of those life experiences back into that world and enriched it so much. Yeah, I don't know that you would get that feeling. Like when you read Animal Man and when you read uh, Doom Patrol, I'm not sure that you would get that same concept that of how much he loves superheroes. I mean, yes, he those are superhero titles, but the way he takes them kind of out of the typical superhero world. But then, you know, as you start to get into the to his work on Justice League and stuff like that, and you and you do realize that I think he's read absolutely everything out there that came before, and he's able to just take the stories that fit within, that can fit within, like, even up to, like, two panels from an earlier issue, and he's created something out of that and spun it into an entire arc that becomes, you know, that becomes a major, you know, universe point down the road. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, Brett, tell us, tell us a little bit about Invisibles. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Stop. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, the Invisibles. Uh, let's see now. Um, well, what, what does it say here? It, on Wikipedia, it says it's co- combined political, pop, and subcultural references. You know, it's, it's a lot of chaos, magic, and... You know, I, I guess it's interesting because it's one of those things that I can see how people would intensely dislike it because when you're reading it, you have to, you really have to go with the flow. You know, I mean, it's it's tough to like some of the characters sometimes, but at the same time, you know, the there's all sorts of stuff going on. You're getting all sorts of, like, you know, incredible, like, not just pop culture, but you know, pop, pop art looks to the book and that kind of thing. And I, and I think that for me, what really gets it is because it, it is so self-contained and it's so perfect in its oddity that I really enjoy kind of getting into that world. And even though you truly don't have a lot of idea what's going on, it doesn't matter because, (laughs) because the journey is way more important than the destination in this case. Absolutely. Have you read it, Nick? Yeah, I have. Um, yeah, I grabbed the omnibus a couple years ago and, 
and plowed through that. And in all honesty, like the the Invisibles work is sort of broken down into three three different sections. Um, and the third one, none of it really connected with me for some reason. Um, I get that. I get that. That's uh, that's yeah. yeah that's the is it, is it three volumes? The I thought there was two volumes. No, it's three volumes because the first volume is the British volume. The second volume is is when they go to America. Right. And the third volume is is where they're counting down the numbers. Yeah. You know, to to go to the new millennium. So that I remember that now. Yeah, that's uh, that is craziness, and and I agree with that. Like. The funny thing is, is that when I started reading it, I was reading The Invisibles as it came out, and I got through the first, the first book kind of thing, first arc. Uh, but then I stopped collecting comics for a while, and so the second and third arc occurred. Dark years. Yeah, and so then when I came back, you know, the the idea was that, you know, I finally got a chance to read The Invisibles, like you say with uh, with the omnibus, and so. I read it, and so I was familiar with that first story. So that one kind of felt like, you know, an old friend. And then there was that new thing of them in America, and it was. And I think I might have read one or two. So I had some familiarity, but I had never read the Countdown one. So I think maybe if I had, if I read those again now, I might be in a better place with the, than I was the first time I read them. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes I wonder if the omnibus thing is a good way to be like digesting comics because, especially Grant Morrison ones, because they're so jam packed with ideas that you know you get halfway through it and you just sort of become numb. Like you gotta give yourself a break. <laughs> oh, it's true, but at the yeah. same time, you gotta ask yourself the question: Do you dare read anything else in the middle? <laughs> The answer is no, no. (laughs) It's like you have to you have to read one issue, then you have to not digest anything else for a day. Come back and read the next. I mean, really hard, but uh, but I can I can see that, especially in the case of the Invisibles and that kind of work. Like, there's just there's so much there, Mm -hmm. and that's what makes it exciting to to have it on your shelf and know that you can reread it again. Like, I find there's a lot of comics I just don't read ever again. But um, every time I sit down with like uh, Batman or the Invisibles or Doom Patrol, I'm like, wow, I missed that the first time. Like that little piece of the puzzle, that little idea that was a throwaway idea that just seemed like, actually, it seemed like an idea that could power like a six issue story arc. And he just says it in one panel and moves yeah. on. <laughs> like, I, wow. I think that's probably one of the things that, that I've had trouble with with him in the past is there's times that, and, and this was definitely one of the things that, like like the JLA, where it's, you know I'm reading that, for instance, that I remember at the time, and enjoying the first issues and, and liking it less as it goes on, and it's because I I, I think he, he's just so much smarter than me. Like I like I, I'm having trouble following this. Like he's alluding to something and he thinks he's given a full expl- explanation because he knows everything that's happening because so many things are being juggled, and I need a little bit more of a guiding hand to guide me through here because I'm so. I think sometimes he, he's like too smart for the narrative. There's a problem I have with him and, and Christopher Priest is another one who sometimes I've, I feel like that is that like, oh, he's just, he's at another level than me. Maybe it's just that I need to read him again and again and again, like you guys are doing. Well, you know, sometimes though, I think that some, some of these writers, I think their powers of recall is amazing. Like the, they read obviously so much and the fact that they can recall it and, 
you know, combine it all together in their mind and then put it out into their work in, you know, different new creative ways. I mean, that's really amazing. And Grant Morrison is amongst the best at that for being able to take all these disparate concepts, you know, like chaos, magic and such, you know, and and really be able to to, you know, excel it in this comic book form you know where where there can be so much high level thought process needed to to connect with it but at the same time there are so many people who absolutely love the book and absolutely get so much from it and i'm willing to bet that you know were nick to read it you know next week and were i to read it next week we would both get completely different things from it from each other but also completely different things from the last time we read it. And yeah. I do have to say that this is something I think that he's gotten better at over the years, uh, that he's gotten better at it, not necessarily just leaving you kind of, you know, stuck and better, you know, going what's going on. I think he, I think he's, I think it's, he's improved at that. I, yeah. And I think he, it depends on the project that he's working on. Like I think anybody who reads all-star Superman is able to follow it pretty well. There's a really, strong theme there um there's a lot of elements to it but i think every issue is self-contained enough and mm-hmm. and has a really well, strong emotional core um so that nobody reading all-star superman's gonna i don't think i think it was confusing or too much going on but it's really simple and it's taken really pure in my mind yeah that's actually the strength of it in many mm-hmm. ways but yeah, Final Crisis, like, don't ask me what the fuck is going on. <laughs> like, there's there's a few moments where Batman shows up, and because I've read the whole Grant Morrison Batman run, I sort of know what's going on with the Batman stuff. So I'll be like, oh, that was two wicked pages. And the rest of it, I'm like, why is Wonder Woman wearing a wolf mask? I don't understand. <laughs> I haven't read that because I, that's always been one of those cases where yeah. I am afraid of reading like Final Crisis and what it'll lead into. Well, that's it. I was reading all of DC at the time, which I had to. It yeah. yeah. makes sense yeah. of it, you know. Like that's like I was, I was, I was, yeah, devouring it at the time. But absolutely, you know, I think the the Batman one's another one that that I was like hearing good things about, and I was like, hmm, this could work, this could not work. And I was also pretty hesitant. And then, you know, I hear about the Damien, really. is that Like, a lot of people heard about Damien and went, like, this is going to suck. This is stupid. I mean, even the name Damien, you're like, come on now. Uh, but that's it. He turned that character around in people's minds because they hated him at the beginning. And they were ready to hate him. And they wanted to hate him. And they ended up not hating him. And that is some pretty damn fine characterization and writing to do that. Yeah, that's yeah. it's insane. I remember hearing the news as well and just being like, that's dumb, that's stupid, I'll never read that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And everybody did. I know? mean, look at look at the whole Batman Incorporated concept I mean, that, that came out of that. I mean, you want to talk about something that sounds, on the outside, sounds stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but unbelievably enough, you know, I mean, it, he, he winds up taking it and making it and making it his own and making it work in that regard. Yeah, because it's something new, right? Like, I mean, if you were to sit down and think of of yourself as Batman and start to think logically, you'd be like, I have all this money. I can't be everywhere at once. I need to do this, like, global corporation type approach to Batman. Like, it makes sense if you sit and think about it. And that's what I imagine 
Grant Morrison doing is really just like sitting down in his weird Scottish castle, uh, <laughs> with a little bit of tea, and just thinking like Batman for a few hours and being like, what has been, haven't I done yet? How, how can I fix these things? Who am I? Um, what makes me special? How will I overcome my trauma? Like, you really get the sense that he thinks of these things because he spends so much time just dwelling on it. Because he, and, yeah, in my mind, he really is a fanboy. <laughs> and and still- you know what? I, I remember when uh, it was, um, they had an issue of, of uh, Wizard. You're talking about Wizard Magazine when he was uh, first taking over writing JLA and he was talking about the different characters because they were going to have, they asked him who would win in a fight. And of course, Batman would win. It's like when everybody was done, Batman, you know, Superman and Batman were the last two and Batman would win. And he, yeah. you know, and, 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 that, and he, he broke it all down in this article. And, and I remember him describing his Batman and he just basically said he's, he's like a super spy. Like he's not a superhero. He's a super spy. He's got the, the technology and the money and, and he's suave and he can be, you know, everything. And, and, uh, and, and he's like a super spy who's also a superhero. And, and yeah, I mean, kind of it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's a uh, um, some people have referred to like Morrison's Batman as Bat God because he's just too good. He's so good that he gets out of every situation, and it's almost just too easy. Um, oh, so but, he's the Steven Seagal, <laughs> <laughs> except he doesn't break necks because <laughs> Batman doesn't kill. <laughs> um, oh, what was I going to say? So Bat Steven Seagal, he. Um, yeah, so so <laughs> Well that that is true. Sorry. So that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does create this bat god concept of this this Batman who can do anything. But there's this really important uh little bit that he added in my mind to the Batman mythology where um there's that scene where Bruce Wayne is like sitting there and he's shot and he's bleeding out and he's waiting for a sign of whether or not he should continue uh his fight against crime, and that's when uh the bat comes in through the window. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, it's a bat. And so Bruce Wayne then at that moment decides to ring the bell for Alfred so that Alfred can stop the bleeding and save his life and he can become Batman. And so uh, Morrison's like, oh, so the very first thing, really the very first thing he did as Batman was ask for help. And he, again, he's been fighting all these bad guys throughout the entire Batman uh, story as convoluted as it gets, but the one thing that he always holds close to himself is the thing that has allowed me to survive has not been uh, my brooding uh, commitment and, uh, you know, sitting in the shadows all by myself, uh, just thinking about my mom and dad dying all the time. (laughs) It's uh, accepting friendship, accepting help, and creating this family around him that has helped him to overcome the trauma. So there's this really, really positive kind of optimistic approach to Batman's success that I never really was aware of before. And that's something that really stands out for me. While also making him a complete brooding paranoid dick. Yeah, yeah. You can have best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he does. He manages to do both at the same time. Like, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? But yeah, it works, like you say. Yeah. Now, uh, what are some of your other, uh, your other favorite Morrison works then? Uh, what else we got here? Um, I will say Flex Mentalo without actually knowing what the hell it's about or what's going on. <laughs> you don't need to know what it's about. It's yeah. it's a great, fun read, and yeah. that's all that really matters. And, and it feels like a personal one, like because I was talking about some of the autobiographical stuff that I had uh, read about for Morrison, where he was saying he was... Uh, 
and he was hospitalized when he was young. So all he had was these comics for a little while to read about. And that kind of stuff ends up in the story in Flex Mentallo, where so where some of Grant Morrison's real life um, experiences are getting put into that story. And you're kind of getting this idea that he's trying to uh, reconcile his love of superheroes and how it's powered him and, and kind of the weird negative spiral that they've taken in recent years, but uh, somehow still giving it an optimistic bent. Like, I think the thing that really excites me about Morrison is all of his work, as fucked up as it can get and as dark as it can get, there's always this positive kind of optimism that runs through it that kind of gives me hope after reading. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. Um, you know, and again, another one by uh, Frank Whiteley. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and you know, Frank's work is is amazing. Like he he kind of goes with yeah. Frank Miller or with uh, you know he he goes not with Frank Miller, but uh, but with Grant Morrison, like nobody else. I mean, that's if I think if the two of them just carried on working together, then we'd all be perfectly happy. Well, they've worked together numerous times over the years. Yeah, they're they're a duo that kind of seem like one creator. Like I, I think of Azarello and Guardo Risso on Hundred Bullets. They just seem like one guy because the work just fits so perfectly together. And that's kind of how I feel about Morrison and Quietly. Well, because he can do all the weird stuff, but it still has a it still has a relatively normal look to it. So you can have like a superhero book that looks like a superhero book, but it also can be extraordinarily weird and kind of have a vertigo feel to it. And, you know, not that many artists can pull that off. Yeah. And, you know, like uh, Morrison wanted to be an artist. Like he, he's a really talented artist. And I think uh, I've like, when I look at all the back matter at the end of these books, um, he's got lays- layouts for like how to how he would arrange pages and panels. He's got uh, cover designs, logo designs. Like he's a very visual thinker, and I think his willingness to work with Quietly to create really interesting storytelling techniques and new ways to tell a story that kind of synthesis really creates some exciting stuff. Um, yeah, we three. That's uh, that's one I forgot about, but that one is very simple in its uh, story idea, right? The incredible journey, but with like blood and guts. Um, but uh, the way they tell that story is just so interesting, and they mess with the panels and the timing and all that stuff, and they really create this great emotional story as well. Yeah, that's I remember we three like that one took me a long time to actually finally read, but uh, but. I know, because everybody talked about it. You know, there's no right. question. Like, it's one of those... Because he did a lot of, like, three-issue miniseries. Like, literally smaller stuff. Because he did, like, Sebastian O, which I remember in the... Or that was one of the earlier ones. Yeah. We three... Um, sea Guy. I never read... Sea Guy, that's right. And I know there... I feel like there's another one that I'm that I'm missing right now. I think it's over on my shelf, but I can't quite see it from here. <laughs> but, uh, it's like the Monorama or something like that? Oh, right. Philip yeah. Bond? Yeah, yeah, there's a big chunk of stuff there I haven't read. Yeah, it's it's interesting. This, some of those minis, like, he's one of those guys that absolutely could go and take out, you know, and just do one of these small stories, and it was still like, wow, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like uh, one of the it's it's interesting because a couple of the things that like there's three things that I can think of that I that I really like. Um, now 
the newest one being the multiversity. I thought that a lot of the stuff from that was was really good and really exciting. Mm-hmm. I only read the one issue we did with Quietly. I was waiting to get the hardcover of that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. And there's Captain Carrot, so life's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I mean, some of the some of the stuff in there, some of the concepts. Again, it, it's like it's it's almost like that perfect synthesis of Grant Morrison uh, as super superhero and as you know fucked up maniac and and so that's that wow and he works with all these great artists so i mean it is it is fantastic for me um of course the one that i'm thinking of the arkham asylum with mckeon which is unbelievable i am ashamed to say i have not read that yet Oh, you, that is brilliant. You really yeah. need to read yeah. that. <laughs> like, like, here's the thing. that That's a book. you First you read it, okay? Yeah. Then you go through about four or five times and, and just look at the art. Oh, yeah. And then you go through and ignore the art and read it again, <laughs> you know? Because both of them are, are like, it's brilliant, and it's brilliant separately and together. But, like, the concept that he introduced in that, years before working on Batman in any other form, you know, JLA or anything that that the Joker reinvents himself every day with a different personality. He's always crazy, but that's why sometimes he's safe and kind of gentle, chuckling, and wants to rob a bank. And sometimes he'll murder thirty kids in a school mm-hmm. because every day he wakes up and it's a totally different person. Because that's his that's his survival mechanism. In order to survive, as messed up as he is, he has to every day recreate himself based on his environment and, and different factors. And it's brilliant, like. Just brilliant. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I thought that was uh, just in the new Batman run. I didn't realize he'd introduced that idea so long ago now. Yeah, like 25 years ago or more. Probably like 89, 80, 90, something like that, that book Oh, came. yeah, when, when was that? That's, uh, that is a good question. Because uh, that was early. Because he did, because that was the thing, right? In the 90s, he did the gothic storyline in Batman Legends of the Dark Knight. Yeah, that was like issues Six, six to ten. 11. Yeah, six to ten, yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. that was very early, again, in that in that scheme. So, so yeah, I'm trying to th- trying to see here. When did he... Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth. Uh, yeah. And that was in the 80s. Um, yeah, definitely, probably 88, 89, I would guess, Brad. 89, uh, 89 yep. Yeah, 89, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's back then he introduced that. It's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant issue, you know? And I remember actually being just amazed at the art, showing it to my mother and her, her going, why do you why do you want to show me this horror stuff? I don't... <laughs> <laughs> to her, it was just like some horror book. I'm like, no, it's Batman. That's not Batman. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, and it fits so nicely into that Batman in the 80s look anyways you know because i mean at the time at the time really i mean we were getting some of the best batman work ever totally and and this stands in that you know pantheon of the greats from that from that time for sure oh yeah and uh, kelly jones and his look uh, of batman and all that stuff kind of fits together right yeah 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 it's it's a very dark period but at the same time like it's it's so stylized and so beautiful yeah absolutely I tell you, one of my favorite um, series I ever read from from Grant Morrison. I don't know if you are overly familiar with it, Nick. Is uh, Aztec: The Ultimate Man? No. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, 
I think I've heard of Aztec, but I have no idea what his deal is. When did this come out? Is this a nineties? Uh, this came out. This came out probably about. He would have been. He would have been about a year into his JLA run. Oh wow! So this would be late nineties, and uh, he, it came out with Mark. See, he was doing JLA, and then he and and Mark Miller, who we kind of introduced, like he kind of brought Mark Miller into the oh, mainstream, okay. and Mark Miller, like Mark Wade, left the flash and he had done this long run and he was leaving it for i think like a year and the first six issues or so it was miller and morrison and then miller takes over the next next six issues and nobody knew who miller was at the time and and then after that when wade came back they started their so it's probably yeah probably a year and a half into his his um his uh run with the jailer maybe two years so around that time so 98 99 in that range uh, he, him, and Miller create Aztec, the Ultimate Man, Aztec. and so you absolutely think that this is going to be a blockbuster because this guy's the hottest writer on the planet. Ninety six, ninety six. Okay, so he's the hottest writer on the planet at the time, and you absolutely think it's going to be this huge book, but it's so it's it's kind of dense, mm-hmm. and it's very very it's dour, like but really, and it's a superhero book. But it's not like it's 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 not there's it doesn't have a mainstream superhero feel. And so it only makes it and and you know, the industry is collapsing like ninety six, ninety seven. The industry's just dying, right? Oh yeah. Like comic books are in, in so much trouble that despite being Morrison, it doesn't make it. It only makes it ten issues. So he had this huge, this crazy, incredible plot. And and the back issues of it were like novels, like mini novels of characterization, bios, and all this stuff. It's just insane. And it's just brilliant. Like, it's so incredibly well thought out. It's such a smart series. And I loved it so much. And unfortunately, it gets canceled, you know, after 10 issues. And, right. and he doesn't want to just abandon the storyline that he's built up for the reader. So he just brings it in and gives it like this quick, you know, handshake ending in, <laughs> uh, in, in, in JLA. Yeah. Where and you know Aztec sacrifices himself <laughs> to save the world, but it, which is probably where it was going in the long term, anyways. But it, it happens like you know and like so quickly, and it, it's just it's a shame. But like yeah, I mean, this is one where I would, I'd say you, you got to read it. But you got to make sure to get the single issues because you got to get that that stuff in the back. Like oh no, I'm not gonna oh so I can't even get the trade and get some of that. I think goodness. from what I heard, from what I heard, this is the reason I don't have the trade. I have the I have the. I can lend it to you. I have them downstairs <laughs> in the storage area. I could lend you these 10 issues. Um, I only have a couple long boxes. I, I'm mainly a digital reader. I right, still have right. Aztec, though, That's because nice. it's, it's hard to find. But, yeah, I think the, the trade paperback, from what I understand, is missing like 40 pages worth of material. And that's probably that back story stuff. And that stuff's key. But it's just brilliant. Like, Nick, I think you'd love it, Nick. I really do. Well, it. It's funny because when you read like the on, on Wikipedia, the fictional character biography of it is Uno is raised from childhood by a secret organization named the Q Society to be the champion of the Aztec god Quetzalcoatl to battle their enemy, the Aztec god Tezcatlipoca. He is given a magical suit of armor that bestows many abilities, complementing Uno's peak human mental and physical abilities. After his training is completed, he enters the United States and assumes the identity of recently deceased physician Kurt Falconer. And you read that, and you're kind of like, that actually sounds kind of dumb. Yeah, Yeah, no, it does. It does, but you know what? Then you realize this... this, uh... This Falconer guy, Doctor Falconer, that he assumes the identity of, was a really messed up character too. So now he's assumed this 
<laughs> you know? So he has to deal with that too. Yeah, it's it's a really it's awesome. And it also had a great appearance by uh by by um, the Joker. And I think it was like issue five or six. It's one of my favorite covers of all time. Um Rick, can you look up obviously on Wikipedia or whatever here? <laughs> can you look up the Joker uh Aztec and, and see what issue that what what issue that is? And you'll see the cover and you'll uh, hopefully you'll like it too. I mean, I don't know if you're near a computer. Well, obviously you're on Skype, so you're near something, <laughs> right, Nick? But Yeah. Uh, I should have expected this after this conversation, but my Amazon wish list has just like doubled. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Curse. Isn't, isn't like that I said, these at least I can lend you. <laughs> <laughs> it's issue six. You it's issue close. six. Joker's Holiday. Uh-huh. Joker's Holiday. Is it a cool cover, Brett? It is a pretty cool cover. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's a Joker cover. It, it's got a different it's look a, for yeah. Joker. Yeah, it has a different look for Joker. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, one another one that I that I read from him that I did not I, I was expecting. I mean, I was getting JLA at the time, but I was not expecting anything of it because these these things are always crap. Was the JLA Wildcats crossover that he wrote, and I think Howard Porter drew it, also, oh. and you know who was doing the JLA with him at the time. And it's like, holy crap, these things are usually just throwaway money grabs, and you're like, this is before uh, um, I believe that Wildstorm had joined DC, and and. Man, he really made it work. That's awesome. Yeah, those are those are always tough, tough sells. You know the the crossovers, and sometimes though they're fantastic because if you if you really have a vision for what both can be, and both what both can be together, then well, you can do a good work. <laughs> well, the thing is, he he obviously knew the Wildcats characters very well, and to me who didn't know them that well, he explained them very well while not shortchanging JLA. And like I say, that was the, that was to me the, the brilliance of it. And it really made it work. And I also like the DC 1 million, uh, you know, crossover event that he, that he wrote the miniseries for that. I thought that was really interesting and cool. and had some really interesting ideas. So yeah, I mean, he's, he's yeah. So uh, there's some more, just write those down, Nick and uh, you know, go get yourself a third job. And yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. well, has anybody can help to spend? You can buy. I'll lend you. I'll lend you the Aztec, and you can buy me a new bed, and that'll work out. <laughs> you should just jam your comic boxes under your bed to even out. Even yes, <laughs> <laughs> Have you read the Seven Soldiers? No, no, I haven't. That was that was interesting. I actually got the whole set from the library. Oh, nice. uh, and and it's thirty issues, in all. But like, it it took a little while to get into. But I think it, it's another perfect example of how much Grant Morrison knows, especially how much more Grant Morrison knows than most anybody else about comics. You what know, do you think this guy sleeps two hours a night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. yeah, like his bed breaks, he goes, "Whatever, I wasn't going to use it anyways." <laughs> <laughs> And how does he manage to go to comic conventions or create comic conventions? <laughs> because I mean, yeah. it's it's like, are, are aren't you just too busy reading slash writing comics at this point? <laughs> yeah, that's madness. And that, yeah, that's that's crazy how he can do so many of these crossovers, and and these are all like old school characters, like throwaway, and he just gets to like play with all these toys that everybody had forgotten was even in the toy box. Like that's well, you know, so exciting. That's- that was one of the things about JLA. I mean, he brought back the, cause JLA had lost its place, you know, oh, um, 
when before he got there, it had the, the, they had fractured. They had you know JLA Detroit and yeah. JLA Task Force and JLA Europe, and <laughs> like, the characters were all over the map. And he brings back the core characters, you know, Superman, Batman, uh, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, yeah. Flash, Green Lantern, and and Martian Manhunter. You know, like these core characters that that now you can't imagine Justice League without these guys and and the, the justice league cartoon that was built around these guys for the first two seasons. But that was him. He was like, no, this is it. Like Avengers can be anything, but justice league has to be these guys. And then after that, then he starts building out and grabbing these other characters. Once he's established that those guys are back and this is it. And he starts bringing in characters. You never imagined like, like plastic man and Catwoman and like, you know, and, and even more obscure characters. And like, again, that's because he, like you say, he's a he's a fanboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, like what a great job, you know, being able to pull these older characters, you know, out from obscurity and just do whatever the hell you want to with them. And I mean, obviously, we've seen a lot of top writers do the same kind of thing, and and so it, it really is that interesting concept of like, you know, who did it first, who did it better, you know. I felt like for the last um, several years, like Marvel is just Bendis's and, and Miller's for a while. And then, you know, Hickman's, but just Bendis's playground and everybody else gets to play with whatever he doesn't want to play with. You know, like, like, like he, he's, he's a kindergarten. He gets first choice of the toys and everybody else. And, and same thing with Johns and, and Morrison at DC. Like they go and they, they, get, they get all the toys. They do whatever. And then whatever you're, you're, you're fortunate enough to, to have left is, you know, you work around it because they're the, it's their playground and you're just allowed to play there too. But uh, <laughs> everybody else must have been ecstatic when Morrison decided that he wanted to take like Mr. Miracle and like Clary and the Witch Boy and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, sweet, I get Superman. <laughs> exactly. But he got Superman too. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I do. I feel like yeah, he, everyone's like, oh man, man, I hope he doesn't want Green Lantern. I really want Green Lantern. If he wants it, we're screwed. Yeah, he has touched like so many, uh, especially DC characters in his career. It's it's shocking. Really. I wonder who knows like the characters and the histories and the everything more, him or Wade, like for DC. Oh man, Wade's been writing a lot longer, hasn't he? <sighs> Not a lot longer, I don't think. No, no, I don't think so. And Wade, but Wade was like the historian guy there for a while, yes. but obviously. Morrison, and, and let me tell you something. As far as writing, like when you go from Morrison's Flash or Wade's Flash to Morrison back to Wade, like <laughs> I think Morrison is the anti Wade in the way he writes. <laughs> yeah, I can see. <laughs> so never let them get in the same room with each other <laughs> the, the end of the universe. <laughs> I feel like those characters in Star Trek who are just fighting each other. It's like they, they look the exact same. <laughs> yeah. One has appeared. <laughs> One's bald. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do if wonder you, who knows more. If you listen to them, I'm sure you'll figure it out. You know? <laughs> Maybe. One has an accent, one does not. Yeah. Remember, remember, that was one of the things I loved in, in Animal Man, all the way back to that now. Here's a callback. Back to Animal Man, he brings in the Mirror Master, and his Mirror Master was a bastard, like a real bastard. And like this, and he's talking this, and it's this really thick Scottish brogue. And you're like, I didn't even know mirror master was Scottish or whatever. And, you're, and then I'm like, how does he know this? And then I'm like, 
where's this guy from? Like, I didn't even realize where Morrison's from at the time. You know, I'm like, <laughs> well, no, of course, right? You know, why and then I'm like, ah, it makes all it makes all the sense. Like, this is the guy that he's been having beers with. Like, <laughs> you know, just his bastard yeah. friend. You know, like it's it's yeah, just nailed it. Yeah, um, I never. Um... I actually have no idea what he's working on right now, which is fun, kind of funny. I think the last thing I remember him working on is that Nameless book with uh, Chris Burnham, but I didn't read any of that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And he's done a lot of stuff uh, in India as well, because he did really? a whole he did a whole like uh, universe of his own, I think, in India. Yeah, so. Grant Morrison's what was it like landscape or something like that or type? Whoa, never even heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, actually, it was available what it's on, called. on like a humble bundle. Huh. What's it called, Brad? Are you looking it up now? I hear typing. Uh, yeah. No, that was that was Nick. But uh, was Nick, Nick's like all more <laughs> money spent. <laughs> I'm sorry, another, man. There's another one. You got a lot of bottles you can take in, or uh... God, I'm totally screwed. <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing though the stuff that we've said to you yeah the, yeah the thing is you have to get them and then you have to come back and tell us your thoughts on the ones we recommended to you that's right yeah. but like guess what guys i don't like graham morrison anymore <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah see i haven't read the filth either i've really been wanting to read that one. Oh, the that's filth. Right. Yeah, yeah i forgot i i in fairness, I haven't read it either, so that's yeah. that's totally like, yeah, all right, I, it's that's only thirteen issues. I can do that. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good. It's like a best of Morrison, but there's still a huge chunk of Morrison that I haven't even read, which is oh, exciting. Huge, yeah, huge. Like Donald Trump, huge. Oh, so big. <laughs> <laughs> like his hands, huge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this has been fun, Nick. Is oh, there man. anything else you want to cover, or you or Brett? I mean, I think I covered everything I wanted to. Yeah, that's. I pretty much just like put all of the books in front of me in a stack so I could look at them, and I've I've gone through them all. See, I like that. I, I love the idea of just taking out everything you own by one by one creator and just sticking it in front of you and being like, ah, look at all that tasty work. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and and here I am with like I say. I mean, I would read. X-Men, that's on. And Skull Kill Crew is another one I've always wanted to read and never have. And I, yeah, that's yeah. on the Marvel Unlimited app. And I I'm love like, that story. Read these. <laughs> I, like, I always thought the concept was ridiculously cool. Yeah, yeah. so awesome. I've wanted to steal it a million times. <laughs> I, I did this uh i did this really short comic like years ago where um like god died because everybody stopped believing in him so his body plunged into the ocean and this rich guy grabbed the body and threw it into a freezer under a mountain and at the very end the these two people joke that they're gonna sell it off for hamburger meat <laughs> and i was like oh my god yeah imagine all these people eating like god's flesh in hamburgers and then they get god powers then i was like wait that's just uh the scroll (laughs) (laughs) i keep trying to trick myself into stealing it (laughs) it's it's like while also getting picketed (laughs) yeah yeah exactly it's it's like a high level scroll kill cruise scroll kill cruise (laughs) is not high level at all you know (laughs) but But, it's cool such a cool concept because i had forgotten about those those because I remember reading like Marvel Epic Age or whatever it was, and they, it was like the history of Marvel, and it shows like the first few issues and shows how those guys, like the skulls get turned into these cows, and you're, and then you forget for like 40 years, and then this guy comes along. 
a perfect example of his fanboyism that you can take a single panel the, the and turn it into a mini series. Yeah, I, I got to read that. That's that and the X Men, but and then I own Doom Patrol and I own Flex Mentallo and haven't read it, and I own Sea Guy and haven't read it. And I, I don't have time to read all the books. The problem is I keep having to do podcasts and get more books I need to read. <laughs> you know what? I'm, this is this. You're only bitching about having stuff on your on your pull list this week. This happens to us every week, <laughs> man. <laughs> it's impossible. It's it is so true. <laughs> you know. And after this, now I'm totally like, yeah, I'm I'm ready to read some Grant Morrison. All right, it's, it's weird because I mean, I was excited to talk Morrison when I heard this. I was like, yeah, this is gonna be fun because because you know, you like you, I don't even realize how much I've read and how much I've liked, and you start thinking about it, and you're like, oh yeah, but then then you then you talk about them, and then you want it even more, and you want to, and now you want to read stuff you haven't read, plus reread what you have read, and so clearly. Clearly, I need to call in sick to work tomorrow. <laughs> my bed broke. My back is hurting. Yeah, absolutely. You you just don't know how you're going to read it. So you got to test all those different, like, is it upside down? Is it off to the side? You know, you just don't That's know. Right. That's right. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's fun just talking, just geeking out about what you love about uh, comics and stuff. That's pretty awesome. It's a good opportunity. Or hey, don't get me wrong. I love to bitch about books on occasion too, but it's also <laughs> fun. Just so, like you say, it's just good comic talk. We love that too. Yeah, that's fun. You don't always get a chance to do it. So, no. Well, that's what we're here for. Awesome. That's what we should call this uh, the set of uh, shows. Mo, we should call it geeking out. Geeking out. Yeah. Welcome to geeking out. Next picks. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Geeking out. And when we think of a geek. all right nick thanks so uh so much one more time tell people where they can get your shit oh yeah um well you can head to uh nickj.ca for my portfolio or nicksoup.com which is my um blog which i update regularly and um most of the stuff that i have uh available can be tracked down through those websites and i'm on twitter at uh illustrated nick awesome be sure to check out his nexicon my nexicon coming at you soon. The next episode of Geeking Out. <laughs> our, with our new time. regular co-host. Nick <laughs> yeah, <Thompson. that's> <laughs> awesome. Thanks a lot, Nick. And with Thank that, I think we're officially so we're officially OUT. <laughs>